You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Business of Cannabis. I am Dave Sky, and I'd like to thank everyone out there for making the business of cannabis such a success. Over 115,000 listeners a week, and I hope growing. We like to change things up here and talk to a cross section of people and uh, big and small companies, multi state operators, craft producers, everything in between. Uh, one thing we aren't changing uh, anytime soon is uh, the reason why we do this show. And the reason is this we believe there's a lack of hard business news stories coming from the cannabis space. For the people who actually do the work, the growing, the selling, the producing, the marketing, and to that end, the business of cannabis will pro- promise us to bring you the most relevant, groundbreaking, innovative business stories from the cannabis front lines, the latest in cannabis brands, services, innovations in retail, software, distribution, marketing. To put it bluntly, a hard look at the hard realities of making money in the cannabis industry. Now, here's a money back uh, guarantee. This show exceeds that promise. We speak to Chris Becker of the Honeybee Collective and Trent Wallavec of Jushiko. Uh, two more opposite companies you'll never meet. And after we talk, I'll let you decide uh, who you'd rather be or, or be inspired by, I guess. Uh, the Honeybee Collective is an employee-owned, echo-forward cannabis brand. Uh, they're very much a craft-oriented player. And they're not focused on huge growth or raising capital or, and market share. Then there's Jushiko, publicly traded, multi-state, vertically integrated, and very much focused on growth and efficiencies and product development capital. Jushiko wants to be huge, they just do. The Honeybee Collective wants to be part of this industry and be profitable and create a great life for their employees. A tale of two visions, in other words. Uh, can these two visions coexist? Uh, I'll, mu- I'll muse on that after we have a chance to hear from Chris and Trent. Uh, certainly there's no right or wrong, uh, but the approaches are self-evidently different. And then there's the question of how well each company uh, will execute on its objectives, all very well to proclaim yourself an organic, ecologically driven cannabis brand. Your cannabis might be awful. (laughs) Uh, Likewise, you might want to expand into every state in the US, but you won't if your product is terrible and your costs are out of whack with reality. So let's see how Chris Becker of the Honeybee Collective and Trent Wallavec of uh, Chushiko are doing on their respective and different journeys in the cannabis industry. I'm Dave Sky. And this is The Business of Canvas. And welcome to The Business of Cannabis. Let's talk to Chris Becker of the Honeybee Collective. Uh, Chris has been part of the cannabis scene for some years now. Uh, Started with Curio Wellness, which is a medicinal dispensary player. 
uh, spent some time with Think20 Labs, which is a testing business, like it sounds, and then Caviar, which is a high-end cannabis uh, producer, also like it sounds. Uh, but uh, we're here to talk about uh, the fact that he's co-founder of Honeybee Collective, also head of revenue and partnerships. Happy to have him on the show because the Honeybee Collective is a very a, a different approach to this industry. Uh, it's employee-owned cannabis brand of high-quality, eco-friendly cannabis. And to quote their own words, they produce for the impact-minded consumer. They care about how the cannabis is grown. They care about how it's packaged. They even care about what happens to the package after it's been used because in their, their view, recycling isn't good enough, always. And finally, 10% of all profits reinvested back into the community. What's not to love about that? And again, to use their own words, uh, the best cannabis under the sun. So let's dive into it. Chris, welcome to the show. David, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm a big fan of the show. Well, let's, uh, let's start off with, appreciate that. Um, give us an overview of the, of the Honeybee uh, Collective. How did it come into being? What's the, what's the idea behind it? And how does it work? So the Honeybee Collective came into being out of my frustrations in the cannabis industry. I worked with a lot of talented people and uh, found that there was a definite ceiling and lack of opportunity in the industry. Um, when Maryland first legalized, I had ambition to secure a license and um, it was, uh, it's a limited license state and just was uh, not able to secure a license due to the cost barriers and uh, limited license nature of the state. So sure. was looking for a way to create more opportunity in the industry and, and have more opportunity for myself and, and solve some of the documented lack of equity issues in the, in the industry as well. Um, so, uh, conceived the idea of starting a brand, um, and I, I emailed, uh, some of the most talented people I knew and said, Hey, would you be into the idea of starting a cannabis brand? I think it's an opportune time to hit the market with a brand that reaches consumers in a way that other brands aren't doing and, um, does some good in the community as well. Um, and, okay. and from there we, we started meeting and founded the Honeybee Club. So like sitting around the kitchen table, classic, you know, ideas sitting, you know, and then the next thing, you know, you're working so like literally like that. L literally like that. My, my, <laughs> this is a movie. My... <laughs> I've seen this movie, but it's cool. That's great. It doesn't um, happen so often in this business, but that's, it's always usually, it's often with boardrooms and, and investor relation decks and, and money raising. This is clearly authentic. <laughs> This this really started as a group of people wanting to create a new model of doing business that is more equitable to the employee and also uh, better for the earth and better for the communities where it operates. So um, what is that model? What is the describe the honeybee? I mean, you use the word collective. So I'm intuitively, I think people are, their minds are going to a place, but describe the model and how it works. So we're an employee owned cannabis brand. Um, all of our employees have some amount of equity in the company, um, and everybody is everybody that works for us is a beneficiary of a profit profit sharing program. Uh, Fifty one percent of our profits are reserved to be uh, distributed amongst employees, wow, uh, but at the same time, employees also get uh, a say in management decisions. So um, they get to essentially elect management and um, can decide whether we distribute those funds or um, reinvest them back into the business. Can I jump in? Okay, elect management. Take me through that. 
Like, do you have so, a president? Do you have someone who runs it? And then you have an election once a year? What, how does that work? Currently, we have a flat org chart because we haven't been big enough to um, have to identify a, a single leader. We'd ideally like to keep it as more of a flat org chart um, cool. and, and work communally uh, towards, towards the, the greater good of the employees and the company and, and the communities where we operate. Um, but, but we, we intend to have, uh, annual, uh, meetings of, of the shareholder employees and, um, put, uh, leadership positions to a vote. Okay. Here's a tough question that jumped into my head. And now I want to talk about your brand. I'm going to talk about my, your brand, but it's, I'm intrigued by the nature of the company. Um, what happens when an employee leaves? And what happens if you have to ask an employee to leave? So um, in an employee-owned business, you do have to buy out your exiting employees, whether they want to leave or whether you're asking them to leave. Um, okay. and, and, and so some capital is reserved for that. And that's one of the benefits of working for an employee-owned company is that you're, you're building up equity. Um, it's, it's a bit of a, an alternative to a retirement plan. Right, uh, a pseudo pension, I guess, on some mm -hmm. levels. Yeah, cool. Um, have you struggled with how to organize people? It, it's just a different way to go about business. It's not wrong. It's just not typical. Has that been a challenge, or do you find do you feel this flat hierarchy is a real advantage? It hasn't been a challenge for us yet because all of our partners are very values aligned and to some right. degree the employee owned model solves the problem of of needing to manage people day to day by aligning their interests and really put if you want employees to act like owners in a business why not make them owners in the business right is our right if you're like hey that person's working hard uh, why and we've all you know for people who've been in business it seems the owner's always the last one there but I guess if everyone's part of it they're going to work hard or or I guess they won't be part of it that's what I'm hearing and, and, and they'll, they'll work hard and strategically it, right. it is it, yeah. is our is our view um, we also believe heavily in a work-life balance and um, we, we arrived at the employee-owned model uh, based on research that shows employee-owned companies tend to be more profitable than their traditionally held peers. Um, cool. They tend to hold employees through downturns uh, at, at much higher rates than uh, traditionally held companies. And they tend to have higher rates of employee engagement and satisfaction. Um, so all, all of that convinced us that this was the best model for our business. Well, I, I got to find out where to apply. Okay, for job. I'm a lazy though. I don't think it'll work out, but I'm applying because that sounds awesome. <laughs> but um, let's talk though. I mean, it, it, that's all, and it's super cool. And but let's talk some hard uh, business. Fat, like, tell me about this brand that you're putting out. Um, in your own words, what is it, and what are its sort of benefits that you see to to the consumer? And, you know, let's start there. Tell me, give me, give me some overview of this brand that you're putting out. Sure. So the Honeybee Collective is a sustainable cannabis brand. Sustainability to us means earth-friendly and people-friendly cannabis. So we source from growers that meet our sustainability standards um, in terms of 
uh, we're seeking cannabis that has either a low environmental impact or ideally a positive net impact. We seek to source from growers that use regenerative practices, uh, sun-grown cannabis that um, isn't isn't being grown under a lot of artificial light that caught that has a lot of energy output. Okay. And then um, we all of our employees are guaranteed a living wage. So um, cool. supporting the Honeybee Collective is really supporting earth and people friendly practices. It's, it's giving people a uh, sustainable choice uh, at the dispensary, which didn't exist when we started. Are there, so is the Honeybee brand you will source out, could be five different type or types of cannabis prop types of flower, or is it um, concentrate or is it edibles? Uh, how that, like, it's not yeah. so it's it's not like consistent the same because you're using different growers. So take me through that. What are you guys actually yep. selling? It, our our product line is designed for the daily cannabis consumer, um, which oh, is okay. w- w- what I identify as, and, and a, a few of our partners uh, do as well. And um, we we provide five gram flower tins, which are forty percent more than your traditional three and a half gram uh, eighth unit. Yeah. Um, the packaging is 100% recyclable. So it's tin. Uh, we chose tin because it's uh, almost it all, right. all, about 90, 90% of it actually is remade into something else uh, when it hits the uh, single like the recycling stream, stream. Right. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to plastic, only 5% of it is actually recycled. Uh, most of that ends up in landfills. Right. Um, so yeah, that's the only depressing um, point. That's the only dep- depressing moment in this interview. Everything else is good, <laughs> positive. <laughs> but it's a reality that most cannabis, a lot of cannabis, it's cool. Like a lot of cannabis companies don't care. They so don't. I mean, it, 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 the, 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 big, the big number problem that we're solving is um, for every pound of cannabis flour that's sold, if it's sold in traditional pa- plastic packaging, that's three and a quarter pounds of plastic that are going to go into a landfill forever. Right. So um, it, it, yeah, it, it's, if, if it's, it's unsustainable. <laughs> it's totally unsustainable. Um, and 2 million pounds of flour, I think were sold in Colorado in 2020. So uh, that's just Colorado. Have, yeah. Right. Yeah, six, 6 million pounds of plastic going into a landfill forever. Right. So, um, so the you were going through your your different products. So, is it just flour? Do you sell other product categories? And tell me a bit um, about the type of flour that you're selling. Is there? You said it's for the, uh, for instance, um, you, what you, daily cannabis user. So that's a specific profile. Take me through your product a little more, and then we'll talk about who actually uses the brand. Great. Yeah. So uh, the, the the remainder of our SKUs, it's a five gram flour tin. Um, it's a ten pack of half gram pre rolls, and it's a two pack of half gram pre rolls. Oh, okay. um, the two pack is in a compostable tube, and the ten pack is in a recyclable tin, like the five gram flour tin. Um, the uh, the flour that we're putting in uh, those joints and in those prepackaged flour tins is all sun-grown, beautiful, high terpene um, flower that's selected for aroma and effect. 
and we put it in <clears throat> instead of using the classic indica hybrid sativa lingo uh our okay. our, our line is differentiated as peace pause and party um so we're we're <laughs> okay. we're selecting strains that really meet the occasion for the majority of reasons that people smoke cannabis um we've done extensive research with our community um the other thing that i didn't mention but we we identify as a consumer centric cannabis brand um and and most brands have to this date have been developed based on an owner's preference or or a wild hypothesis and not really based on talking to the people that smoke cannabis every day and asking them do you want this product um that's how you end up with uh, a, a right. lot of wild products that don't end up selling through, right? Um, so we're giving people basically more of what they already consume, but we're giving them an eco-friendly option in, in those products. We are talking to Chris Becker of the Honeybee Collective and learning about a different business model, but a business model that's starting to sound like it's it's got a lot of advantages and benefits. Um, I like the idea of the focus on a specific type of consumer. Um, what is it about, a preliminary question, by the way, I wanna get this out. Okay, I get peace and party. What is pause? What is pause cannabis? Uh, That's where you don't pause, smoke, you just look at it. <laughs> no. <laughs> you do something else. You know. it, but it, but pa pause is uh, really about uh, taking a moment to reset your day. This it's it's anytime smoke. So it, when you need a break, you can reach for our pause strains and know that you're going to feel that moment of serenity and um, have a chance to reset your day, no matter what's Just going on. That, that that's the idea. I see. Period of time, chill. Now I got to get back to whatever I'm doing. Exactly. Okay. There we go. Um, okay. Back to your consumer. Uh, what is it about the everyday? Um, the daily cannabis users that's different from other cannabis consumers that you need to take into account when you when you market your product and also when you select it um a few things uh great question number one is um they have a high high, high level of intuition and education both around um the the products that they're consuming and also kind of the BS business practices <laughs> that have permeated okay. the, uh, the, yeah. the cannabis market. Meaning they um, care they, about, they care about some of the things that you care about more they, than they say, I walk into a dispensary four times a year. I, I probably aren't, I'm not going to actually agonize over this plastic bag. Not, not likely. You, not, you probably likely. don't think it's a, a very big issue. Um, you, you, the daily cannabis consumer has, if they purchase from regulated dispensaries, has a big pile of uh, waste waste in their house that they don't know what to do with. Some of okay. them feel guiltily put it in the trash. Some of them will inquire online as to where they can uh, return it or dispose of it properly. It, it, it's a problem that just socially we, we knew existed. Cool. Um, and 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 also the the lack of equity in the market they're aware of as well. Um, they, they are aware that um, there's a lack of opportunity for people that are not basically well-capitalized folks uh, with, with connections to, to secure licenses. And um, 
And they're also aware that businesses are, are not paying sufficient wages, um, which is particularly um, obvious in the cannabis industry, because partly because of uh, 280E and, and the fact that there is not as much capital as some people think and not as much cash flow as some people think in the industry. Would be fair to characterize this as, it sounds like you're describing the older the illicit market user who has transitioned to the regulated market for any, for whatever reasons they've decided to do that, um, but has some of those values that arose around cannabis, those traditional values that, you know, as opposed to the new type of cannabis user who might have different values, not I'm saying they're right or wrong, that's so interesting that you're speaking to seems to be a, a group of people that and react to this, a lot of companies aren't really focused on. That's our hope. And, right. and I identified as that consumer personally when we started this brand. And then when we did our research, other people identified as that as well. Um, so I'm sorry, I lost lost my train of thought. Yeah, you were talking about the tradition, that traditional uh, it, value of the cannabis user. You're doing something that's that has been banned for whatever reason. Well, we know why. Um, and but you're part of a, a certain values um, statement that you relate thank to. Thank you. Yeah. And so you're. It's interesting. You're saying, okay, there's this group of people out there. It's not the hundred percent of the market. It isn't. It's not even a hundred percent of the daily user. It isn't because lots of daily users don't have those values, but some of them do. So I, it's uh, very interesting. You're, that's the you know I love to hear a well reasoned marketing focus, and that's what it sounds like to me. Or have I put words in your mouth? <laughs> no, no, thank you. That's that, that's exactly right. So um, we one of our partners is a, is a merchandiser and it's very important to her and it is her, her background professionally to identify very specific markets um, and, and, and marketing programs that can speak to them. And um, in addition to that, uh, we just really felt it was important to um, give the people what they were asking for. And when we deployed surveys, people told us what they want and they want to see companies that are doing good in their communities uh, that are doing good for right. their employees and that are providing uh, products that are good for the earth and, and don't do bad in the, in the communities where they live. In literally uh, 30 seconds, we don't have much time left. Can tell me where you want the honeybee to be in a couple of years, in a, in a perfect uh, world, what would it be? I, I would love to see Honeybee Collective in three to five states in, in the next three years or so. Um, I'd love to see us have a community of five, 10,000 people who really support our mission, um, who are helping us decide how we reinvest in the community with that 10% of profits we've committed. And um, I would like for us to have given back a few hundred thousand dollars into the communities where we're, where we're operating. Well, that's, that's a pretty impressive goal. So we're gonna keep track of this. Like I've said this many times on the show, we'll keep track of you um, and see how that's uh, happening. Um, for those of you who want to find out about the Honeybee Collective, it's pretty easy, honeybeecollective.com, one word, honeybeecollective.com. Check out their site, learn a bit more, uh, and reach out to Chris. 
and maybe we can expedite that process and you can be in three or five states uh, in less than three to five years, uh, which would be pretty cool. Um, Chris, thank you very much. That was really interesting. Uh, thank you, David. I really appreciate uh, your time and having yeah. me. Uh, we'll be back uh, with more of the business of the business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Welcome back to the business of cannabis. And let's talk to Trent Wallabek of uh, Jushi Co. Uh, he's chief commercial officer. Uh, and Jushi Co's own words, I think, pretty well describe the company. National multi-state cannabis company developing and operating high-end retail locations, premium brands, state-of-the-art cultivation, processing, and manufacturing facilities. Okay, that's a lot. So... Uh, it keeps going. They have three dispensary brands, Beyond Hello, Nature's Remedy, New Leaf. They have dispensaries in, here's a list, Pennsylvania, Illinois, California, Virginia, Massachusetts, Nevada. Uh, I have a feeling there's going to be more to that list, so I'll be sure to ask um, Trent about that. Uh, they have, uh, and they range across all the cannabis categories with brands like The Bank, Nira Medicals, Sachet, Tastology, uh, spoiler alert, that's edibles. Um, Trent has a long business uh, career, formerly serves as president of TGS National Holdings, uh, which is an affiliate of the Green Solution, as well as COO of American Cannabis Company, um, where he worked with his uh, clients to win a state cannabis license. Trent, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, me being able to share and talk about Juicy with you. Great. Well, once I, as, I, as I was reading that over and, and, and announcing it, uh, I was like, I'm glad you're on the show. I think you have something to say. You've, you've been, you know, you're in the heart of it. So let's get into the heart of Jushi. You do so much. You almost do everything. Give us an overview of how that all works and how that balances them. And, and, sure. So and, and, and you know, Jushi has a multi-state operator, um, you know, a consolidator of assets across the, the country here in the United States. Um, we've really been able to build Jushi through, you know, our M&A pipeline. Um, and so, um, you know, that that was really the foundation of Jushi was being able to, to bring in um, individuals that could, you know, raise capital, allocate capital, um, and then really perfect uh, operations at scale um, as this industry continued to grow, um, you know, really since our inception in, in uh, early 2018. Um, so, you know, Jushi being publicly traded uh, now since mid-19, um, you know, we've been able to, to really um, supercharge that growth, but, but also be able to, to bring um, operational excellence and execution uh, along with that capital allocation and, and capital raising, uh, which I think is a big differentiator for us uh, in, in the marketplace. Does that, has that stopped? Like, in order to continue to grow, is that still through capital raise or... Is there now an organic element to it? So uh, in cannabis, 
you can always raise more money. You never stop raising money. Um, and so, yes, that is absolutely still uh, part of the business. Um, we don't have access to traditional capital. And so, you know, still going out and telling the Jushi story, um, executing on what we've, you know, built thus far and will continue to build um, it is one piece of that. Um, you know, on the flip side, to, to your point, um, as we've continued to grow, grow as an operational business um, and, and really dial in, um, you know, that aspect of, of what we've done from a growth perspective, um, you know, we look forward to obviously um, getting to that, you know, break even cash flow, um, if right. not operational cash flow moving forward to, to help supplement uh, some of that um, investment, capital investment that we're making in uh, growing out certain markets um, and or doing M&A action, uh, M&A transactions. Right. So you're, the fundamentals you're building, will you're still building them, uh, but obviously some of them are starting to, I would assume, kick in. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tough balancing act, yeah. A absolutely. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, what we've been able to build with, um, you know, Pennsylvania, which is a, a very, very, very mature, very good, sure. if not one of the, if not the best, well, definitely one of the best medical markets in the country, um, you know, being able to, to get to, to max capacity from a retail perspective, uh, continue to build out our grower processor as we see, you know, patient adoption, you know, continue to grow quite rapidly, uh, as well as, you know, the likelihood of adult use coming uh, very soon, um, rather than later. Um, you know, you, you always have to continue to grow and scale uh, from that perspective. Uh, Virginia, another core market of ours, um, just, you know, really right. recently huge wins from a legislative pers perspective for, um, you know, the medical program down there. It's, you know, really been able to, to be a, um, a huge growth market and a huge growth opportunity for us. Um, but then you look at recent M&A transactions in Massachusetts and in Nevada, where you know we've bought into what I'd call um, still early adult use markets, okay. to where supply hasn't even remotely caught up to demand, and so you're still seeing you know good solid markets, trillion trillion dollar ish markets, right? Um, gross, that should yeah. grow to two, three, four billion dollar markets as um, you start to see supply catch up to demand, um, aka pr pricing get more in line with the illicit sure. market. Okay, or or other more established states like, like correct Colorado pricing or correct so on yeah or Canada pricing. Um, oh well, okay, that was a tough question. It, as I was listening to, you, I was going to ask you an easy question because that was a hard one to just jump in there and go like you know give me the but. Uh, Jushi rhymes with sushi, as you pointed out. Is that on purpose? Is that the point of it, or is there another story to that name? No, no. the 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 background is, um, yeah. We we you know we like to joke and say you know sushi with a J, um, and so you can take that for many many different meetings. But you know, supplementing cannabis with any time you eat something great like sushi, uh, you know that that's the the good okay. running joke. Uh, right. But but in reality, sushi comes from uh, the Jushi Kingdom, which um, they just recently discovered uh, a shaman from that kingdom 
that uh, they unearthed and he had um, a lot of cannabis in his medicine pouch. And really? so oh. it's the first known, um, you know, kind of kingdom or civilization that used cannabis for medicinal purposes. And so when we were forming the company, um, that was kind of just becoming just stuck, a, a new right. story. And so we kind of just ran with okay. it, quite frankly. And what part of the world is that? Where was that? Uh, the Jushi Kingdom over in China. Okay. Well, there you go. That's it. I did not expect that. I got to be honest with you. That one, <laughs> yeah, you know. fi fi finance guys, we're creative sometimes. We, we <laughs> once in a, once in your life, you're going to be creative. Now exactly. Get let's get back to this. That's enough creativity for a business <laughs> show. Um, so let's start with your dispensaries, that side of it. Talk about the retail brand. Uh, what is it about? And what do you want your customers kind of to think about it? What's the idea behind uh, what you're building? Yeah, so our, our main retail brand, um, as you mentioned, is Beyond Hello. And then through acquisition in uh, Massachusetts and, and Nevada, uh, we acquired New Leaf in Nevada and then uh, Nature's Remedy in, in Massachusetts. But, but really our main focus and, and building out our retail uh, footprint is, is with Beyond Hello. And so, you know, Beyond Hello is both, you know, servicing medical patients, but also, um, you know, adult use consumers. And so we want to be mindful of that in whatever market we're in, uh, whether okay. that's being both or, you know, more adult use driven or more medical driven, um, you know, that's super important to, to keep in mind. Um, but really with Beyond Hello, our focus is, um, going beyond just a hello uh, in a store, we don't want our patients and or our customers feeling like they're just a transaction. Oh. And so cannabis being, you know, so new and still so um, taboo in certain places, um, having that educational aspect is super important uh, for us, whether that uh, person's coming in for the first time or the hundredth time and whether they're trying to alleviate some qualifying condition through the medical program and or they're coming in as a, an adult use consumer and they wanna get high because they're going to a concert or they're at home relaxing for a movie, um, we wanna drive that retail customer experience for whatever that person is, is trying to uh, alleviate at that time. Right. So yeah. going beyond just a hello, uh, and having that interaction, that customer experience um, is something that, you know, is really what Beyond Hello stands for. Has, has that been a challenge, that balance? Because you've, I mean, a, a, a rec customer and a medicinal customer, it's, they're quite, it's quite a different experience. So therefore, you need different education. That journey you're speak, alluding to is going to be quite different depending on the... Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and we view, view retail as an omni-channel okay. business opportunity. And so, you know, with that, you know, we, we can tailor that depending on, again, medical market, adult use market, a co okay. combination stores like, you know, what we have in Illinois, uh, for example. Okay. Um, and so, you know, really those channels are, you know, your sales floor, and so that's where you can get a lot of interaction with uh, the retail associate, be educated, get educated, uh, continue to, to kind of understand and look at, you know, what, what you have, what you've taken, what you like, what, what you don't like. Also in states like Pennsylvania and Virginia, we have pharmacists on staff 
And so you can really have oh, much okay. more of a medical focus or medical centric conversation right. with them about, you know, what's working and not working. Um, and so, yeah, all, all those different states have different aspects of that, in, what I'll call in-store, retail storefront, mm -hmm. you know, sales floor interaction. Um, you know, a, a large part of our business, you know, anywhere between 50 to 80% of our sales are done online through e-commerce. Really? Interesting. And, yeah. And so, um, you know, that allows us, you know, as, of, as it stands right now, you know, with, with no credit card, um, you know, people are still having to come, come into our store, but, uh, you know, we have express pickup areas, we have curbside, wow. we have drive-through. Um, so those are just, you know, those are kind of three more touch points where we get people to come to that brick and mortar retail storefront. Uh, but then in states like Virginia, California, we're able to do home delivery. And so we have that um, aspect and that channel um, to be able to get to, you know, additional consumers and or patients. Um, so it's, it's a unique opportunity from a brick and mortar retail perspective uh, to deliver, you know, five different um, aspects of however the consumer wants to purchase their right. cannabis. And I, so I was, that's I was a gonna, unique opportunity yeah. for sure. I was going to joke, uh, well, because it's radio, you can't see it, but as Trent was was talking, he held up his hand, but I was saying like, like that's like five channels. That's there's a lot going on. Um, yeah, and, and 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 you know, you, you cannabis in a is good unique. way, but it's yeah. yeah, yeah. Look, cannabis is unique uh, because, and this is why we're we are we at Juicy are such firm believers in leading with retail and then backing into up up the supply chain. Um, you you have you have to educate people, whether that's again medical and or adult use, because it's been. Um, uh, you know, an illicit, I mean, it's still technically an illicit right. at, the, at the federal level, yeah. uh, but, you know, 60 plus years of, of being underground. And, you know, when you go to the illicit market, it's, you know, whatever your dealer has is what you get. Um, and so there, there's even more of an education um, that's needed to be had to continue to a destigmatize cannabis, mm. but also just educate all the you know, types of cannabis there are, delivery methods, what you want to achieve, a litany of things, cannabinoids, terpenes, so on sure. and so forth. And so um, all that is necessary um, and why we are such firm believers in, in, in leading with retail and markets. We are talking to Trent Wolovic of uh, Jushiko, uh, Chief Commercial Officer, uh, learning about how a, the challenges of a multi-state operator um, and it sounds like, of course, I want to be a multi-state operator, but I think as the states multiply, so do all these challenges, this balancing act. Uh, so let's balance, show me how you balance your cannabis brands. Um, I listed them off as the bank, uh, Near Medical, Sachet, Tastology. Take us through that, how you came about arriving at, at the product mix you, and you did. Yep. And, and we have one more, the oh, lab, one more, which is our, you know, vapes and concentrates. And so, um, okay. you know, being in the industry, you know, full, full time since 2013, watching the, the flip here um, in, in Colorado from, you know, medical to adult use 1-1-2014, one, one, um, you know, being able to help win and stand up programs and businesses across the country with ACC um, and, and then joining a, a large vertical a company here in Colorado, the Green Solution, 
with our expansion, you know, nationally and internationally, um, we really, I really got to see kind of, you know, what those products form factors uh, were that were in high demand. And so, you know, what we've been able to do is really, um, you know, build and capture uh, what, what those high moving SKUs are, uh, mm. what, what those right kind of benchmarks are and, and form factors are and, and, and really go from there. And so, you know, for, for us um, being vertically integrated in majority of our markets, uh, I think our focus is getting to vertical in all of our mar markets with the exception of, of California for right now. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we are producing um, what is going to be um, the best standardized product um, at the lowest possible cost per MG of cannabinoid, so THC, CBD, what have you, um, to be able to deliver that uh, to the market um, to, you know, continue to drive uh, people into the regulated market. And so with the bank uh, being our you know, high-end indoor flower, really focused on eights um, is, okay. is going to be um, that aspect uh, of the market. Sachet, uh, which is going to be our value flower. So anything ranging from uh, quarters to ounces, depending on what state we're in, gotcha. um, ranging from what we call fine flower or popcorn down to, to shake. Um, is, is something that we want to bring as an option to patients or customers. Uh, the lab really focusing on, you know, vaporization products um, is- Like physical that, hardware, you sell the vape and that, we, that we, line we, of product. We fill, we, we fill a cartridge that we oh, buy okay. with, gotcha. you know, distillate, live resin, live rosin, um, and, and being able to push that through our channel and through third-party cool. uh, storefront partners. And then, uh, you know, Nira and Nira Plus, uh, more so the topicals, um, the, the medical centric products. And then finally, Tastology as our, you know, infused products, uh, chocolates, gummies, uh, so on and so forth. But, but really focusing again on bringing the best standardized product at the lowest possible cost uh, to, to market, both for our retail channel, but also to our third party. Um, partners at the, at their retail storefronts. Is there like a bestseller? Is there like a product that kind of carries the weight, and the other products are more filling it out, or is it very quite sort of a unified uh, whole? Yeah, look, if 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 you if you asked me this question four, five, six years ago, oh, okay. um, I I would have told you, you know, the vape and the infused products were overtaking oh, wow. flour. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you can go back and uh, there's plenty of stuff out on the internet. I mean, I, right. quite frankly, I was just wrong. Uh, <laughs> once so, again, yeah, you were creative once, you were wrong once. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so fl look, flour <laughs> is still king. Okay. Um, and so with flour and pre-rolls together still make up, you know, 50 to 60% of, of that market uh, okay. with, you know, those vape cartridges being another 20 to 25% and infused products being, you know, 10 to 15%. Um, you know, really is, is kind of held true, you know, as, as we've seen markets continue to mature, both medical and uh, from an adult use perspective. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, some people are saying that there's too many products. There's too much choice. There's too much differentiation. And you can get yeah. as hyped as you want about drinks, but it's not about drinks. It's, I'm not saying that's true. Um, I'm not offering a, an opinion, so I don't want to be wrong. 
but it's fascinating uh, as companies differentiate and 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 round out their pro- their product line. Uh, is that wasted effort? It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting. Well, that's the challenge, isn't it? You know yeah, when you know. <laughs> it, it it is. Um, and as a retailer, I get I get to know what moves and what doesn't move, what Fair works and what doesn't right. work, uh, and then I can kind of backfill that in, into my supply right. chain. The yeah. other point, you know, I think that's super imperative that a lot of people miss or aren't picking up um, with, you know, price compression in these markets. It's a good thing. It's a, actually a very good thing. And, and so while margin percent may be going down, gross profit dollars are actually going up because we are taking from the illicit market. Massachusetts right. should be a two to $3 billion market just based on numbers and adoption rate. But okay. pricing is still too high I to see. draw people into the marketplace. Same with Illinois. Um, you know, same with Nevada up until, you know, COVID hit um, and when people had to go grab market share for locals because, you know, 76 million people didn't show up in 2020 uh, to, to Nevada. Pricing came down. Sure. It took from the illicit market. Uh, sales were flat without 76 million people showing up. And right. so what, what I continue to want to share to people Price compression is not bad. It's a good thing because the pie is just going to continue to get bigger. And we are going to pull people from unsafe product in the illicit market, product that isn't tested, who knows where it's grown, who knows what's in it, uh, mislabeled, um, going to you know illicit cartels, right. not the right people. Uh, and, and so all those things, Price compression takes away from that and brings it into a, a full regulated, standardized, taxable product. You know, we're spending hundreds of millions of dollars in multiple markets. We're creating tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of jobs. And I'm, you know, infusing back hundreds of millions, if not billions, do- billions of dollars of taxes as we continue to regulate cannabis in each and every state. We have been talking to Trent Wolovic of Jushiko. Uh, very it's an amazing story. It's it's um, I'm, I'm, what I'm getting is well thought out, well executed, and that's just going to continue on and on. Um, we're going to have to track this story because definitely a company to keep your eye on. If you're in Pennsylvania, Illinois, California, Virginia, Massachusetts, Nevada, is there another one coming? Can you tell us something? Or yeah, I it, think is there I another think, one? <laughs> I think I think I think what we can say is. Um, we, we will continue to work on getting vertical and building out our footprints uh, in each and every state. Um, you know, Ohio, okay. where we have cultivation manufacturing, um, okay. you know, there, there's an opportunity for retail there. Illinois, where we have, you know, four stores, I think being able to, to, to get vertical there is important. So, um, you know, we're going to continue to do what we do best, which is M&A. Um, but also, you know, we've hired people to help scale the business now that we're, you know, uh, a, a 200 to 350 million dollar plus business uh, moving through 2022. So go to jushiko.com. That's J-U-S-H-I-C-O, jushiko.com to see if there is a jushiko near you. Uh, and if there isn't, there's going to be one soon. 
uh, Beyond Hello and the uh, Nature's Remedy in New Leaf. Uh, Trent, this was really interesting. Thank you very much. Thanks for sharing such a sort of an intimate view of, of what a vertically integrated cannabis company looks like um, and, and what it looks like going forward. Um, my, my pleasure, David. Really Thanks for having yeah. me and look forward to, to keeping everybody up to date as we continue to, to progress not only as an industry, but uh, as a company of, of, of Jushi. Um, and and, and uh, it's not stopping anytime soon. It uh, doesn't Jushi. sound like it. That's, that's my guess. And I think I'm right. Um, so we, we'll be back more uh, in a minute with uh, the business of cannabis. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Welcome back to the business of cannabis. We spoke to Chris Becker of Honeybee Collective and Trent Wallowick of Jushiko. Definitely a tale of two visions, as I alluded to at the, at the top of the show. And reflecting on whether, is there a place for both of these visions in the cannabis space? I don't, I think there are. Uh, my uh, sidekick, who will be back, Matt Cook, um, just on special assignment, uh, he's not so sure. He believes more that the age of the brand is coming, that what's happened in so many other industries, perhaps the beer, wine, spirits industry, alcohol is uh, a, an example of over time, the economies of scale leading to consolidation and domination by a few players. And while we all acknowledge we're nowhere near that, 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 that took decades to happen. Uh, things happen faster now. Um, and certainly things in cannabis happen quickly. Does it boil down to cannabis as a commodity? Um, is, it, is, is, is the idea that the plant uh, has such variety and unique qualities that it will not become uh, bigger is merely better. And you could say the same about food. And certainly there's tremendous variety in alcohol, uh, just in wine alone, the, the, the varieties uh, of grape and uh, from white to red, let alone the thousands of different types of producers and, and wine. Cannabis is not liquor, self-evidently. Um, and there are lots of craft brewers out there, uh, um, maybe less on the spirit side, but certainly in beer and wine. So, so then is, is, uh, is Chris Becker of Honeybee Collective onto something here? Um, but it, a lot depends on him executing in the same way that Trent Wallovec and Jushiko have to execute on their visions. So for if Chris, uh, is that relationship to their small market, because it will invariably be smaller, uh, purposefully so, they're not intending it 
not to be smaller. But that has to be real and it can't fade over time. It can't be displaced by some cheaper product that's just as good. To say we're a company employee owned or we have certain um, ecological perspectives or, 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 or we, we stand for certain values and, and buy my product because we share the same values. That's not an easy thing to do because ultimately as Amazon and lots of companies show that it's Walmart, ultimately people might buy something that's just as good and cheaper and, and more accessible and, 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 and easier to uh, obtain. Um, likewise, Trent Wallavik, can they, can, they um, can they keep the money flow going <laughs> to keep the machine going? When is that inflection point? At some point, you become profitable. And yeah, Way, Wayfair and Uber and Amazon and this concept of grow until you no longer have to, until you have that market share, not such an easy thing to do. Very difficult to do in cannabis because of oh, a lot of factors. Uh, the, the regulatory requirements to go from state to state is so onerous, each state being so relatively unique in its market, at least now. Um, so that's this ongoing story in 50 years uh, might be looking back saying, well, of course this happened. Of course the big players failed and it's really fragmented market. Uh, uh, or vice versa. Of, of course, the MSOs are dominated. Of course, there's five companies who dominate 90% of the, of, the, of the market. And the, the little 10% of the, the fat millions of little players who, who fight over little scraps because they can't compete. Tale of two visions. I'm, I believe cannabis can be can accommodate both, and I'm not as strong on the brand concept. I believe it's a it's it's a lots of opportunity for the smaller players if they do it right to connect to that local market, and just like a restaurant that has connected to a community cannot be displaced by McDonald's. So simply, it doesn't mean McDonald's doesn't, or Starbucks or any other chain or fast food chain. Um, I don't know that it's fast food, in other words. To me, cannabis can be more like a family restaurant, a, a, a higher end restaurant that is connected to a community. Because there is not a chain of high end restaurants dominating the landscape like there is on other, in other sectors. So it boils down to what, what is cannabis? What will it become? And if it is a product that can be differentiated endlessly, then no one company or few companies is gonna dominate it. Interesting conversation. Chris Becker, Honeybee Collective. Sounds like a very cool group of people. And uh, Trent Wallovic, Chushiko, a very, um, a group of people who are very uh, uh, motivated to be successful and grow and be huge. Um, two journeys, not wrong, uh, so different. I guess ultimately what's interesting is that the same journeys within the same industry. Well, that's it for today. Uh, 
We will be back next week, of course, with more uh, business stories from the cannabis front lines. Uh, I am Dave Sky. Be well. And this is the business of cannabis. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.